Hey there, welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. We have a very exciting show in store for you this week. First up, we've got comedian, writer, and LiveWire pal, Hurry Kondabolu from NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and The Late Show with David Letterman and also his documentary, The Problem with Apu. Hurry is going to tell us about his new comedy special. It's called Vacation Baby. He intentionally did not name it Pandemic Baby for reasons that he will explain. Then we're going to talk to Christy Coulter about her new book, Exit Interview, The Life and Death of My Ambitious Career. It's a memoir about her time at Amazon. By the way, we recorded that interview mere blocks from the Amazon World Headquarters. And then we are going to get some music from Indie Rock Royalty. That's right, Quasi will be stopping by. This is going to be a heck of a show, so don't go anywhere. It all kicks off right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey there, Elena. Hey there, Luke. How's it going? It is going well, although I have some concern this week about our station location identification examination. Uh-uh. So you are very, very smart, and you know a lot of things. In fact, you almost won an episode of Jeopardy once. And almost. you never <laughs> cease to amaze me at your ability to pick up on these places in America where Livewire is on the radio. But this one is going to be a stretch. This city's motto claims that it has the finest drinking water in America, the water being supplied by a glacial aquifer 700 feet deep below the surface, which is encased in 300 feet of solid granite. Granite. It's got to be somewhere kind of cold, right? Yes, cold. Cold where we're on a lot. Oh, that's either Wisco or Minnesota. Okay. Yeah, yeah door okay. number two. This, by the way, gets you almost no closer to guessing this okay. place. It is in Minnesota. <laughs> uh, the place that I'm talking about was named after a local business person. It shares its name, though, also with a word that means inlaid decoration of tortoise shell yellow metal and white metal in cabinet work. Oh, God. Like, uh, 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 for Micah, Minnesota. <laughs> oh, you're so close. Buell, Minnesota. Buell. <laughs> where we're on WIRN as part of Minnesota Public Radio. Shout out to all of our listeners there in Buell with that fine, fine glacial drinking water they're enjoying. All right, should we get to the show? Let's do it. All right, take it away. From PRX, it's... Live 
this week, comedian Hari Kondabalu. I am moderately famous in coastal cities or wherever NPR is popular, right? right. Like, yes. I'm like farmer's market famous. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and author Christy Coulter. In parts of Amazon, it is truly a well-oiled machine now, but the level of chaos, it's not something people understand. It's essentially like smart people in a barn trying to put on a show. (laughs) With music from Quasi and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena. Thanks to everyone who is tuning in from all over the country, including Buell, Minnesota. We have a really, really fun show in store for you this week. Of course, we have asked the Livewire listeners a question. We asked, what's the craziest thing a kid has ever said to you? And we're going to hear those responses coming up in just a few minutes. First, though, it is time for the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the program. There is some good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what is the best news that you heard all week? Okay, uh, definitely the cutest news I've heard all week. So apparently on some Netflix television show that has a lot of child characters, one of the children, his signature is that he's always wearing a suit. And there's a young man, a third grader named James Range, who watched that show. I think it's the Fuller House, the Full House reboot, Fuller House. And he watched that show. He lives in central Maine. And he was like, "Okay, I think this is for me. And he asked his mother for a suit for his eighth birthday. Apparently, it's not very easy to get a suit for an eight-year-old when you live in central Maine. But grandma came through like grandma always does. And then James started wearing his suit to school. And uh, he said, when I looked in the mirror, the first time I put the suit on, I knew it looked cool on me. (laughs) He rolls into East Central Elementary School in his fancy suit and a couple other third graders take notice, especially his friend Lincoln. Lincoln was like, I'm in. And then Lincoln turned up in an all white suit, a white pair of pants, a white jacket. This is, by the way, a story that's on Maine Public Radio. The photos, if you go to the online option, are spectacular. Um, So Lincoln starts sporting his white suit and James starts sporting his black suit. And they're walking the halls of their elementary school, just looking dapper as can be. Flash forward to the end of this last winter term, and James has three suits. He has an array of shirts. Lincoln also is starting to become quite the the clothes horse. And they decide, you know what? We should just start wearing our suits on the same day. Everyone takes notice. The elementary school declares Dapper Wednesdays to be a part of the whole situation. And so now every Wednesday at this elementary school in Maine, All of these kids, mostly boys, but some girls are into it, too. And mostly third graders, but there's some upperclassmen, fifth graders getting involved. They are all sporting whatever fancy clothes they feel like wearing on Wednesdays. And if you don't come in a suit, a lot of the teachers and instructional lead professionals have little bow ties that you can put on to strut your stuff on Wednesdays. And the principal, I just think, A, this is super cute. But B, the principal said something about it that really stuck with me. They wanted to celebrate James and Lincoln because they tried to be their authentic selves and it really made a positive change in their environment. And they want to encourage that in young people that just be who you are and who you want to be 
see and watch what happens to your community when you express yourself that truthfully, which I think is pretty amazing. I love that. I love the kids in Maine getting dapper. Speaking of student age people, Charlie Jeffers is a little bit older than those folks you were just talking about, Elena. He's actually a senior at Redwood High School in Marin County, California, but he is associated with the best news that I heard this week. He has always been a huge fan of Legos uh, since he was a little kid. He told the local paper and he realized as he was getting into high school and getting towards his senior year, a lot of his friends who were really into Legos as well. And by the way, I'm carefully not using the term playing with Legos, because if you talk to folks that are deep in the Lego community, we're not playing with Legos. What are we doing? What's the verb? Uh, well, well we're, we're, we're building. We're architecting. That's exactly right. And Charlie noticed that a lot of his friends that were his age were starting to just like throw out their Lego sets because they were kind of moving on to other stuff. And he thought, boy, this is all going into a landfill, which is bad. And also Legos are not cheap. And a lot of kids who might want to play with them don't have access to Legos. And so he created this organization called Pass the Bricks, started recruiting his friends and other people to volunteer and getting all of these old kind of Lego sets from people that were just going to toss them out. Now, one of the things that he realized, though, was that a lot of these sets were missing pieces. <laughs> I was very much a kid that grew up with a lot of incomplete Lego sets. It'd be like most of the Death Star <laughs> or whatever I was trying to build. But so they started creating their own Lego sets based on what they had. So they would get together like, OK, we have these blocks to make this thing. And they've just given them their own names like Chewbacca's housewarming party or <laughs> Iron Man goes to the car wash. <laughs> they give it a name and then they write up kind of like a, an instruction manual with photographs of how to make the thing. And they've made like 3000 of these sets and they've delivered them and mailed them out to like the Boys and Girls Club of America, which is something I went to when I was a kid, all kinds of other great organizations that help particularly young people. And so this is something that's not only kept stuff out of the landfill, but has now enriched the lives of a lot of people who maybe wouldn't otherwise have access to uh, Legos. So shout out to Charlie and all the folks that are helping get Legos into the hands of people that uh, can use them. That is the best news that I heard this week. All right, let's get our first guest on over to the program this week. He's one of our very favorite people who's released a couple of comedy albums, and he's a regular on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He's performed on Jimmy Kimmel Live and The Late Show with David Letterman, among other places. Um, his latest comedy special, Vacation Baby, is free on YouTube right now. You can go watch it at no charge. Um, and it was named one of the best comedy specials of the year by Paste Magazine. This is Hari Kondabolu, who joined us on stage at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. Welcome back to the show. Hey. It's a pleasure to be back. This latest special of yours is so, so funny. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed it. And it's called Vacation Baby, but it's not called Pandemic Baby. And that is a very intentional decision. Yeah, because the thing is, when when people say Pandemic Baby, my assumption is, oh, the baby was conceived during the pandemic. Like baby boomers, it's because of the war and that led to the baby. So this, the pandemic didn't lead to the baby. <laughs> 
Ritz Carlton led to the baby. Right. <laughs> Ritz Carlton and Honolulu Ooh. led to the baby. Mm. Whoa. And if you're wondering, all bought with Delta Miles. <laughs> <laughs> the secret option if you if you high mm-hmm. enough with status, really? baby. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Delta God status. A baby yeah. shows up. Right. <laughs> um, I, th- I, I think a lot of people who have been pregnant uh, who are either here at Revolution Hall or maybe hearing this on the radio will really enjoy this special if for no other reason than you are very clear-eyed about how much you did and did not do in relation to your son being born. Yeah, I put in a short period of work and, <laughs> and then not again, really, until the kid was born. Um, so... You know, I, I just, it's weird because I kept saying, like, we're pregnant, which I think annoyed anyone who's able to have a child. <laughs> like, really? Really? Um, but I didn't, because it just felt weird to say, like, she's pregnant. Uh-huh. Actually, no, that isn't weird. <laughs> I, wa- I want it to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So we're pregnant. We're in it together. Mm-hmm. It's incredible, as you point out in the special, that you know, your relationship with your partner has made it this far considering you were living in a studio apartment mm-hmm. whilst she was pregnant. Did it draw you closer together or did it strain the edges of the relationship? You know, honestly, if if there was the option to, like, leave, I, I think it would have... Strangely, there was something about forced captivity where <laughs> all you have is this person. You're afraid to leave because the air might kill you. Mm-hmm. So right. you're just in this room. And, I mean, it's not that bad. We had a t- TV and internet and everything. But, like, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, brought, it also brought us uh, closer watching uh, programs that most people weren't watching. We watched all of Homicide, Life on the Street. Oh. R.I.P. Oh, Andre Brower. That's the thing. Everyone's talking about Andre Brown in terms of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's great in that. But if you haven't seen Homicide, yeah. you don't mm-hmm. know how great he is in right. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes, thank you. Right. Um, y- your son had uh, what the doctors described or someone described as maybe a nightmare at nine hours old. Yeah. He started like he was asleep. And then he started screaming hysterically at a note. No, no. First, he started twitching. He was twitching, like, uncomfortably in his sleep. And then he started screaming, and I asked what happened. And the, the, the nurse said that it was a nightmare. And it was like, nothing's happened yet. <laughs> like, this is the easiest part, in fact. Right. Like, unless somebody told him what's coming up. Like, right. this, is, this is easy. Enjoy this four minutes. Oh, guy. This is, you know, it's kind of downhill from here, right? You're listening to Livewire Radio from PRX. We are at Revolution Hall here in Portland, Oregon, talking to Hurry Kondabolu. His new uh, special out on YouTube is Vacation Baby. We've got to take a quick break, but stick around. We will be right back. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke, I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners... Uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the 
association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. We're at Revolution Hall here in Portland, Oregon this week. I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello. And we are with Hurry Kondabolu, whose latest comedy special, Vacation Baby, is out on YouTube right now. Um, I noticed when I was scrolling down through the credits of your special mm -hmm. that you, you've credited all the great folks that worked on the special. And then there's just Sorry AOC. <laughs> Yeah. What happened, without giving too much away from the special, can, can you give us a, a flavor of why it is that you'd have to apologize to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the credits of your special? All right. Okay, here's the thing. So in, in 2017, I was, I was very busy. I was in the middle of, of uh, creating a documentary called The Problem with, uh, with Apu, where yes. I was trying to destroy people's childhoods. And then- <laughs> That's one interpretation that of it. That's one interpretation of it. I was preparing for my first Netflix special, so I'd been touring really heavily. So I just had a really, like, really busy year, right? And somewhere in the middle of that year, I get a direct message on uh, Twitter. Um, it's now called X. I have mm -hmm. never heard someone refer to it as X, and that was the end of the statement. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> there has to be some clarification. Oh, yeah. X, I mean, it's also a, it's a variable. Like, that literally <laughs> doesn't have a value. We don't know what it is. This is definitely the crowd for that joke. <laughs> a math joke? You like that? Yeah. yeah. You like some algebra? <laughs> I always wondered why I would need math, and it was this show yep, right, that's right now. That's right. I studied for that joke. Um... So I get this message uh, on uh, direct message, and it was from AOC when she was running for office the first time. And she just basically said how much she liked my stand-up and how mm -hmm. she'd like to collaborate and, and all this. And, and I wrote back, you know, I'm pretty busy right now. Because yeah. um, <laughs> you're a New Yorker. She's a New Yorker. Yeah. And you're at that moment, there was a moment in time, brief, where I was significantly more famous than she was. Yeah. <laughs> now, it, it's significant, but it's still not very much, right? Because <laughs> uh, since that moment, some could argue that I've become slightly less famous, <laughs> right? And she is perhaps, uh, you know, the most influential leader of the last decade, if not longer, right? So, you know, I... I but I, I wasn't thinking that she also yeah. represented the neighborhood I grew up in. There's uh -huh. a lot of reasons why I was being a bit of a dirtbag here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> because I, I should have just said, yes, of course, I believe in your values and, and you represent, you know, a place where I grew up and this is important. But I'm like, I got to 
I gotta kill a cartoon character right now. I don't have time <laughs> right. for this, right? And so I said, why don't you reach out to me next year? And which is really awful. And so she reaches out to me early 2018 and said again, you know, I'd love to collaborate with you. I think we can do a lot for the community. And um, I, I never, I, I didn't write back. And um, and then um, wow, you really. You really snagged them with the algebra joke and lost them with the leaving AOC oh, hanging. Oh, there is nothing you can do to hurt me more than I've done to myself at this point. Because she wins the primary, which in New York, if you win the primary, you win the election, right, as a Democrat. Yeah. So, you know, she wins the thing, and I recognize her name on CNN. I'm like, who is that? And then I, I'm like, oh, no, it was the lady, isn't it? <laughs> Did you think maybe it was a different Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez than the one that had been emailing you? Well, I you? mean, to be honest, I didn't really remember her name because I'm full of myself. You know, I'm, yeah. as you know, uh, when you get s slightly famous, mm -hmm. it can go to your head. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm famous basically in coastal city. I am moderately famous in coastal cities or wherever NPR is popular, right? right. Like, yes. I'm like farmer's market famous. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but that's enough to get to your head if other people aren't yeah. farmer's market famous. Yeah. And so as soon as I found out she won the same night, like, I'd have no shame. <laughs> I, I messaged her immediately. Oh, my God, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd win. It's, did she say, get in touch with me next year? No, no, she, she went up that. She never wrote back. <laughs> so, she actually finally wrote back. I posted the video when, when the special came out of the full story and everything, and people were messaging her, and it got, it got like written up in The Hill, which is the big <laughs> magazine yeah. for, for, for politicals in D.C. And uh, she wrote back and said, it's perfectly fine. I found it hilarious, and it was, yeah, it, it was great. And then... Uh, you know, I asked for a position in her. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was, it was, it was kind of, it, it, was, it ended really nicely, uh, even though I still wish we were best friends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not all of uh, it, but a lot of this special is about becoming a father and, yeah. and about your son. And the, the, the photo for the cover of the special is such <laughs> a great picture. It's you and your son. Yeah. Do you feel like your kid is already cooler than you than you were or will ever be i think so i mean well basically i i don't really know lullabies so i just sing him the songs i listened to in high school mm -hmm. so like what he hears for lullabies is like you know my name is jonas or say it ain't so or <laughs> terrible songs i remember like closing time by oh. semi oh, terrible the teenage dirtbag by weedus sure and he doesn't know the names of all the songs but he'll be like you know Play, I want you to sing, oh, no, I said too much. Oh, no. Oh, losing my religion. You know what All right, that might be a little serious. And, and so he like. That's dad in the corner. He loves. That's dad, dad in the spotlight. <laughs> he requested Depeche Mode a lot. And he requested a song I didn't know, which was very strange. Whoa. Because I put the Spotify on and it's Depeche oh, yeah. Mode. And so then he's requesting songs I don't know. Like. I can do enjoy the silence, you know, but like it's so I don't. So part of me is like, does that mean he's going to be a cool kid who knows all this stuff about music? Or is he going to be the weird kid who listens to his parents music in high school? Like the kid when I was in high school, there was the kid that listened to like the doors and the uh -huh. who. And I'm like, right. what the hell are you listening to? Nobody's listening to this. You know, mm -hmm. Led Zeppelin. I don't care about Led Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. Is he that kid now? 
Hmm. Is he the one that's singing Say It Ain't So at, <laughs> and requesting, you got any Weezer? I'd like to hear some Weezer at the party. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to be that kid. <laughs> this is Live Wire Radio from PRX. We're talking to Hari Kondabolu. We are here at Revolution Hall in Portland this week, and as we've been talking, Hari, uh, your latest special um, talks about parenthood, and one thing that we sort of know about both stand-up comedy and being around kids uh, is that you've got to be thinking on your feet at all times, yeah. right? So we asked the audience here at Rev Hall to answer a question for us earlier. We asked, what's the wildest thing a kid has ever said to you? Mm. Kids have a way of really cutting right to the quick. <laughs> And um, we would like to read some of those responses from the audience, the, the, the wildest thing a kid has ever said to them, and then hurry as both a stand-up comedian and a parent. We'd yeah. be curious if you could say what the proper response to the statement would be. Sure, sure. I am qualified to do this, Luke. Okay, nice. yes, you are. Yes, you are. So Elena has been gathering up some of those responses. What are you seeing? Yeah, okay, so hurry. what do you say when your child comes into your room at 4 a.m. and says, I can't sleep... I'm a dolphin, and dolphins only shut off half their brain at a time. Oh. <sighs> Depends on the age of the child, but my first thought is cough syrup. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, the idea of you just, like, dipping a smelt in cough syrup, and then the kid just takes it in flipper style, and then they're out. I have a feeling cough syrup may be an answer yeah. to a lot of these. Yeah. What's the next one? Okay, what if, uh, now you have to imagine that you're mama now, so okay. imagine your kid comes in and says, hey mama, will you still have boobs after I'm dead? Does somebody have the kid from The Shining? <laughs> That's... That's a hilarious thing. So this child assumed when I'm gone, those breasts will just shrink back yeah. into yeah. her body because they no longer have value That's yeah. right. since I don't need them. Right. Right. Yeah. That's how self-involved children are. <laughs> Everything is for me. Those boobs are for me. Right. Yes. I don't shop at that store anymore. Why is it still there? Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. One more truly wild thing a kid has said to someone that we can get Hurry's uh, wisdom on. Okay, what would you say? Let's say this is your child. Okay. Uh, if your child came in and said, Dada, why are you in my house? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there'd be a part of me that would be irrationally furious <laughs> at the fact that he, he doesn't pay rent. <laughs> yeah. Hasn't even offered to pay rent. Right. Um, why are you in my house? It's almost like he's asking, why are any of us here? Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, and I would say to him, son, would you like to watch some Peppa Pig? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that question will go away very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Drink this cough syrup yeah. and put With on Peppa Pig. a little side of cough syrup. And... Peppa Pig is the TV version of cough syrup. <laughs> <laughs> Sage advice from one Hurry Kondabalu, everyone. Hey. Thanks for coming on Livewire. That was Hurry Kondabalu right here on Livewire. Make sure you check out his latest special, Vacation Baby. It is so funny. And it is so free. 
on YouTube. Go check it out right now. Hey, special thanks this episode to Mark Kendall of Salem, Oregon, and Robert Coppage of Vancouver, Washington. Uh, Mark and Robert are part of the Livewire member community, and they are generously supporting our program with a donation each month, which is really, really big for the show because it's how we are able to keep Livewire going. So a big thanks to Mark and Robert for supporting Livewire. This is Livewire. Of course, uh, we always like to ask our listeners a question each week. Uh, this week we asked, what is the wildest thing a kid has ever said to you? They really are truth tellers, those kids. Uh, Elena has been collecting up the responses. What are you seeing? I just want to make a proposal that we just extend this show for an extra 30 minutes or so so I can read all of these because they are all amazing. Okay, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll second that emotion. Excellent. So Sarah says, I asked my daughter if she wanted to go to the park yesterday, and she said, no, thanks. I'm an indoor cat. (laughs) Well, good for knowing yourself, knowing your truth. Good job. (laughs) That would not have flown when I was a kid. I grew up in the era where it was at about 8 a.m., particularly in the summertime, you were forcibly ejected from the home and pretty much barred from coming back until the sun was starting to go down. Yes, you were an, like a, an orphan until it was dinner time, and you came back grubby and gross. I would have definitely tried to claim indoor cat privileges if we had that sort of terminology back in the 70s and 80s. All right, uh, what else? Here's one from Mike. Mike says, I asked my nephew what his wrestling name would be, and he replied, Rhombus. <laughs> <laughs> Solid name. Like, can you imagine trying to get somebody or something that was a rhombus into like the proper hold? Like, that'd be one of the most challenging things to wrestle against. Also, a signature move named after Rhombus would be very cool. Yes. Like, uh, they had the figure four leg lock when I was a kid growing up watching the WWF. That actually probably is a Rhombus. All right. Something else uh, that a kid said that stunned one of our listeners. This is another nephew one from Sal. Sal says, my nephew told me I smelled like hot dog water. <laughs> Unprovoked. Whoa. <laughs> I think everyone who is an adult has a memory of some time a kid said something to them about like, why does your breath smell like that? 40% of these are just kids insulting adults. And I, I have, I'm here for them because these are some real sick burns. Like this one from Lydia. Lydia says, I had some old clothes from when I was little. So I asked my neighbor's kid if she wanted to look through them and see if there was anything she wanted. And she looked at me straight up and said, no, thanks. I don't like what you wear. I now think about this constantly. (laughs) Meanwhile, this kid was dressed head to toe in Paw Patrol. So, I mean, honestly, don't get cocky. Well, thanks to everybody who sent in a response to our listener question. We've got another one for next week's show coming up in just a few. In the meantime, let's welcome our next guest over. She left her cozy but admittedly dull job in Michigan for a promising new position at a scrappy little company in Seattle that got its start selling books. It was Bertha's Bookshop in Fremont. Uh, JK, uh, it was Amazon. It's the place that we're talking about. Pretty soon, she found the challenge and excitement that she had been craving, but she also found seven-day work weeks, widespread burnout, and a culture that she says was driven largely by fear. Twelve years later, she moved on from Amazon and wrote a book about it. It's titled Exit Interview, 
the life and death of my ambitious career. Slate calls it enlightening and wincingly funny. This is Christy Coulter, who talked to us on stage at Town Hall in Seattle, Washington. Take a listen. Hi there. Welcome to the show, Christy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This book is so well written, and we were, Elena and I were talking about it a while ago, saying we were shocked at how riveted we were by the machinations of, like, corporate America. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, right. Like, it's totally riveting, even though a lot of it is just about, like, emails going around and meetings, mm-hmm. and are we going to be able to, you know, get an ROI on this or right. get yeah. this to you by <laughs> COB? Are we going to get headcount? Right. Are we going to lose headcount? Yeah. I- I'm curious, though, to start sort of back in 2006. Mm-hmm. You're in Michigan. Like, what is your life looking like then, and what were you looking for? Yeah, so my life was, it was pretty sweet in retrospect. <laughs> I was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I had gone to grad school. Okay. There's so many Ann Arborites in, in Seattle. Hmm. And I was working at the All Music Guide, which was like a really kind of fun and cool and cozy place to work. And I had absolutely tapped out on how far I could get. And I was bored. And I, I one day was driving home, and it was the first snow. And this Josh Ritter song came on the radio about like when the snow is gone and it melts. And I started to sob (laughs) (laughs) because I had just had one winter too many. I had Mm. to pull over and I was like, I've got to get out of here. And that and the job together, I think like six weeks later, I had a job at Amazon. Like it happened really fast for me. (laughs) Could you actually read uh, a little bit from the book? Mm -hmm. Uh, This is from, I guess you sort of would call it chapter two. You've titled it The Pull. Oh, yes. And can you kind of explain what this, I think this kind of sets up, or at least it foreshadows what Amazon's going to be like for you. Yeah, this is, uh, it's the job description, only you'll see that I've taken considerable liberties. Um, I interviewed over a thousand people at Amazon during my 12 years there, so I saw a lot of job descriptions, (laughs) the good and the bad, so I'll read this. The poll, title, Senior Manager, Books and Media Merchandising, location, Seattle, Washington, date posted, January 6, 2006. Do you want to change the world? Are you passionate about helping customers shop online? Do you have the stamina of a jacked-up mountain goat and and boundaries fairly described as porous? (laughs) Amazon.com is seeking a North American leader for its books and media merchandising teams. In this role, you will own the merchandising, editorial, and email content for five Amazon storefronts, leading multiple editorial teams in a 24-7-365 demand generation process. You will drive relentless, and we seriously do mean relentless. (laughs) Improvement in merchandising content on Amazon and directly impact free cash flow. You will also build new internal content management tools with Band-Aids and Scotch tape by working closely with understaffed technical leaders in a highly matrix environment. That is, one in which you have almost no real authority or leverage. Amazon's culture is exciting, fast-paced, and dynamic, like highly dynamic. If you end up hating this job, no worries. It will be unrecognizable in six months anyway. (laughs) We offer competitive pay and a benefits package that is not the worst. Employee amenities (laughs) include a desk and laptop, plus the option to request sandpaper for your desk, you'll see, and a coat hook from facilities. Please allow 10 days for delivery. 
Job requirements, five plus years experience leading content or editorial teams. Track record of delivering large, cross-functional, complex, customer-facing products under circumstances verging on psychotic. <laughs> Intense fear of failure. Ability to be dropped into any situation with a blowgun, tourniquet, and Excel 97, <laughs> and figure things out fast. Thick hide slash pelt. Also highly desired. Superior physical stamina, stay-at-home spouse, Acute imposter syndrome. EEOC statement. Amazon.com technically counts as an equal opportunity employer. Yeah. <laughs> it's Christy Coulter reading from Exit Interview here on Livewire. Um, one of the things that really jumped out at me reading this book, which is sort of alluded to there, is just how close the wheels are to coming off all the time at this company that is like the most successful company yeah. maybe in the history of the world. How, how has it been so successful when it feels on the inside like it's all about to fall apart? Yeah, there, there are no wheels. I mean, I think that in parts of Amazon, it is truly a well-oiled machine now, but the level of chaos is, it's not something people understand. It's essentially like smart people in a barn trying to put on a show. <laughs> oh, Livewire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like nobody knows what's going on. Everyone's just kind of like on half information and panic and goodwill. I think that's so, I don't know. I don't know how it works out as well as it does generally. But the other thing that you write about is this kind of pervasive culture of like fear mm -hmm. and, and, and this almost by design sense that nobody's doing their job well enough. Yes. Is that sort of built into the company? I think at this point it is. I don't know that they were like, let's scare everyone. That'll be how we build our company. But <laughs> there's so much fear and they hire these people who have been high achievers all their life and then make it impossible to be a high achiever. Mm. So you're just constantly like, but that's how I get satisfaction and validation. Next time, I'll, I'll get the, a, a thanks or something. So everyone's terrified. And the kind of people they hire, the kind of people when terrified, we just double down and do more. Mm. Um, Amazon uh, was, when you were there, and it remains, I believe, a very male-dominated mm -hmm. company and culture. Um, but you write in the book that you didn't personally experience harassment that felt mm -hmm. like it was gendered because everyone feels terrible about themselves, <laughs> essentially? Yes. I mean, I know from, from friends that who've been VPs at Amazon, that harassment does happen there. Sure, I mean, it happens sure. everywhere. But like the Silicon Valley stereotype of parties with models hired to attend and like hot tub orgies, that is not Amazon. Like Amazon is so austere and everybody's so scared that like, I think they're mostly too scared and panicked to even think about like harassing another human being. They're <laughs> just trying to just like survive, which is nice. Um, it's, yeah. it's, <laughs> I mean, in some ways, it's a very like... Like, it's like a friendly military in some ways. <laughs> you know, just like, okay, our meeting, our meeting agenda today is, and you do it, and then everyone runs to the next meeting. And, you know, there's not a lot, a lot of time for, like, it took me years to even have a work crush, <laughs> which is sad. You know, you, you need to have one. And it took me, like, nine years to get one. Yeah. 
there's also, you write this real um, kind of ethos of like thriftiness and austerity mm -hmm. within the company. And of course, famously, it's like, you know, they had doors as their desks back mm -hmm. in, you know, the garage or whatever. But like, to the time when you were there, this was still very much part of the culture? Yeah, and actually someone, it, the, the leadership principle is frugality. That we should, it's like Amazon wants to spend things on money on things customers care about. But um, someone at Amazon came with, with a Wikipedia page called Frupidity. <laughs> like a portmanteau of frugality and yeah. stupidity. And I mean, people would just add these just insane things. Like I, I had a laptop that took six minutes to boot up. And like every time, and then it would shut itself down, and they wouldn't replace it because I had six months left on my life cycle. Wow. And I mean, I was just like, and one time I had to, I had to pick up a new monitor and carry it back six blocks through downtown Seattle. Like I'm walking <laughs> through downtown Seattle with this huge thing, like I can't see where I'm going, and it was just like dumb things like that. Uh, this is Live Wire coming to you from. Uh, I would. I mean, as the crow flies, what, 800 feet from the Amazon World Headquarters <laughs> here in Seattle, Washington? They're everywhere. We're talking, that's fair. We're talking to Christy Coulter. Her book is Exit Interview, The Life and Death of My Ambitious Career. Did you at some point, because you, you, know, you had studied writing, you were a writer, mm -hmm. had, did you at some point in the midst of this think, okay, this is a book, and did you start like taking notes? It took me a long time. My, I had written my first book. My first book was about to come out, and it hit me. You know, when you're inside Amazon, on, you don't necessarily think it's interesting to the outside world. Um, and then I was like, I said to my agent, well, I don't, I don't know, I had this idea and I'm just not sure. And she was like, please write that book. And I, it still took me like six months to be like, is anyone going to care about, you know, inside Amazon and inside an office? But at that point I was like, well, I probably should leave. Like I felt very weird about knowing I was writing the book and being there. And I didn't want to take a lot of documents out with me and stuff because I wanted to write the book just from my memories so that it's more like, it's less legally dicey that way. If it's pure right. memoir, you know. So I left pretty soon after that because I just thought this is classier <laughs> to just go. Yeah. But, you, but you had written, um, you had written a previous book. I mm -hmm. think the title was Nothing Good Can Come From This. Yeah. And it was about your uh, journey getting sober, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I've heard that you saying that the book about getting sober was easier to write than the book oh, about Amazon.com. So much easier. Huh. So much easier. Why? Um, I, so this book took me four years to write. And the first like year and a half, I, was, I had Amazon's voice in my head all the time. So every time I sat down to write, it was like, this book is stupid. You're not a very good writer. No one's going to want this. You could be doing better. And it took me a while to realize. You don't deserve a new laptop to right, write it on. You don't deserve a new laptop. You, know, you should be working at a door desk that snags your clothes. Um, and, and I was like, oh. And then I thought it was a trauma memoir, and, which it is, kind of. Yeah. And, and I worked on that for like a year. And I was like, well, this is not any fun. And I finally, when I realized it was sort of a coming-of-age story, even mm. though it starts when I'm 36, um, <laughs> I was, it can be argued I was not a grown-up then. I, that's when it snapped into place. And I was like, this is fun now, and I'm a bit of, a, of my, my own heroine. You know, it's a story mm -hmm. of self-rescue. But yeah, I am so happy I never have to write this book again. <laughs> right. It's fun to read, but it was like, it was hard to write. Uh, there's a very telling part uh, towards the end of the book when you finally decide you're going to leave and you actually have composed this a very lengthy mm -hmm. kind of exit email through the system, the intake right. for when you leave Amazon, because no one is going to meet with you face to face yeah. after 12 years there. Yeah. And 
basically you sort of pour your heart out and, and send all this constructive mm -hmm. feedback and then you hit submit and it's just like you get the wheel. I get the wheel, the little, the little um, <laughs> hourglass, yeah. Yeah, uh, I was in the 98th percentile for tenure at Amazon by the time I left. Wow. Um, so I've been there longer than 98% of everyone worldwide and one of relatively few women at my level. And no one offered me an in-person exit interview. Wow. They just gave me this form. So I filled out the form diligently and then it hung and was never submitted. So, I, you know, I wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to note, of course, the irony that's been noted many times, which is that this book is, in fact, for sale on Amazon. Yes, and I'm very grateful, honestly. <laughs> Did you actually wonder if they, if, if and legally and, like, morally, well, I don't think morals play yeah. a huge role in what they do, <laughs> no, but, like, no. I mean, could they have not sold your book, which is basically kind of pointing out a lot of the shortcomings of their corporate culture? They could have made that choice. And of course, if there's something to worry about, like I will find it and worry about it. So I was worried about that. And my agent was like, it would be the best thing that ever happened to you for publicity. <laughs> that is true, actually. <laughs> um, but you know, I have heard from a shocking number of people, um, a lot of like VPs and higher ups I work with who are like, I can't say this publicly, but the book is perfect. Mm. Thank you. Um, tons of women saying, I felt like you were writing my story. Mm. What's really surprised me is, I guess I had this idea that the men were just flouncing around, you know, being like, hey, I rule, I rule Amazon. The men are not okay either. Mm. I'm hearing from so many men who are like, except for the gender stuff, you're telling my story. Wow. I guess the lesson for all of the managers out there is definitely grant an exit interview to your employees or <laughs> yeah. they will write a book yeah. about you. Especially if they have an MFA. That's right. <laughs> right, right, right. Christy Coulter, the book is Exit Interview, My Life and Death of My Ambitious Career. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. That was Christy Coulter right here on Livewire, her memoir. Exit Interview, The Life and Death of My Ambitious Career, is out right now. I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello right over there. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to hear some music from the indie rock band sensation Quasi. Stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal T this season, Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LiveWire, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Okay, before we get to our musical guest this week, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be talking to the comedian uh, and podcaster who can now add author to her resume, Jamie Loftus. Her first book is called Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs. It's uh, part travelogue, part culinary history. Uh, we are going to find out what it was like for her being contractually obligated to eat 200 hot dogs. A dream for many people. Then, speaking of haute cuisine, we're going to hear from renowned chef and author Kenji Lopez-Alt about his cooking journey, which actually started 
at one of those Mongolian grill restaurants where you like fill up your bowl with all this meat and vegetable and then they cook it for you. And Kenji has really, really come a long way in his uh, career. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about his latest book. Then we're going to round out the program with some music from lawyer turned musician Danielle Ponder. Sorry, legal system, you lost one. But that's our gain as music fans. And as always, we're going to be looking to get your answer to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the Livewire listeners for next week's program? Ooh, ooh, ooh. We want to know what is your ideal road trip? All right. If you have thoughts on what makes the ideal road trip, and this is something people do have opinions on, go ahead and let us know via Twitter or Facebook. I know they're not calling it Twitter, but whatever. We're at Livewire Radio pretty much everywhere. This is Livewire from PRX. Our musical guests this week are pretty much legendary. They were formed in 1993 by Janet Weiss and Sam Coombs. They've spent the last 30 years touring the world and releasing 10 albums, including their latest one. It's called Breaking the Balls of History. Is this the first time that sentence has been said on public radio? Probably. Uh, they were inducted into the Oregon Music Hall of Fame back in 2017. And now they are here on Livewire. Take a listen to Quasi, recorded at Revolution Hall in Portland. Hello. Hello. Thank you for being here. I've been a, such a fan of your band for a long time and a lot of the other projects that you've both done. Um, so I'm really stoked to have you here. Sam, I read somewhere that you called this latest album an act of hope. What did you mean by that? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I think anytime. You get up in the morning and you go to work. That's an act of hope, basically. Sure. <laughs> Especially our work, because most of our work, nobody ever sees it. We work, we work, we work, and then we put this thing out. So it's all future-oriented. Mm. Janet, uh, it's so nice to see you here. And, and this album is really is so great, but also it sounds like it was something that could have very well not been able to come together because of this car accident that you were in and it was like a really serious car accident with a lot of broken bones. Was there a period in your recovery where it seemed like actually being able to play again was, was maybe not possible? Definitely the first four months. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to be in a bed for three months. I couldn't wow. walk. I couldn't put weight on my arm. It, it was definitely too long a period to be thinking every day, like, oh, I hope I can play the drums. And I would tell my surgeons, like, don't mess it up. <laughs> I, I'm like, no, you don't understand. I have to like, play the drums. <laughs> I can't just be, like, walking around. That's not good enough. Did you have a physical therapy thing you did? Or, like, how did you oh, yeah. sort of begin to reintegrate with drumming? Um, well, my partner is a coach. I'm going to say that he's a gymnastics coach. Oh. And so that was actually very, very, very helpful. Wow. And... When they would give me, like, this is what you should do, I would do that, and then I would do more. Like, mm. I would always take it really seriously, the assignments, and, you know, I just wanted to get better. Mm -hmm. How do you feel now when you're playing? I feel great. Yay. Awesome. <laughs> well, Thank you. On that note, maybe we should hear some music. What, what song are we going to hear? Uh, it's a song called Queen of Ears. Okay. Basically a takeoff on Duke of Earl. <laughs> All right, this is Quasi on Livewire. Falling, fever, can't 
Quasi, right here on Livewire, recorded at Rev Hall in Portland. Their latest album, Breaking the Balls of History, is out now. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Livewire. A big thanks to our guests, Hari Kondabolu, Christy Coulter, and Quasi. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. And our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Eben Hoffer and Molly Pettit are our technical directors, and our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Trey Hester is our assistant editor. Our marketing production manager is Karen Pan. Rosa Garcia is our operations associate. And Jackie Ibarra is our production fellow. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, A.L. Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. This episode was mixed by Molly Pettit and Trey Hester. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Mark Kendall of Salem, Oregon, and Robert Coppage of Vancouver, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire team. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and 
make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.